Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Sergeant First Class John Valentine. Welcome to the Veterans Be Real podcast. Here's where we try to keep it real and do our best to help all our fellow veterans out there. This podcast will hopefully open our veterans' eyes into the transition and challenges they are facing and give them some guidance along the way. Please subscribe and download our podcast. We look forward to you, your insight, and your loyalty. Thanks for listening. And now, here's Veterans Be Real. Because we are the brave. Yes, we are the brave. We'll fight you in All right, good afternoon, everybody, all you Veteran Be Real listeners out there. It's Sergeant Be Real. I'm here with Annette Wittenberg, and I'm going to bring her in. She is an amazing woman who does a lot for our veteran, veteran community. She ties a lot of things in, and we're going to hear about her military time. We're going to hear about her transition, and then we're going to get blessed to be able to hear about what she's doing now to help all our veteran community out and the soldiers and the veterans that are out there that are struggling. So, Annette, the floor is yours, young lady. Have at it. Thank you so much for letting me be on here. I'm truly honored. I, well, like you stated, I spent um, 17 years, four months in the military. I retired almost four years ago. <laughs> girl, keep count. Yep. Hey, every every day counted for every me. Every day so. counts for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I was given the opportunity to retire early. So that's what I did, and you know, it was it was hard. I didn't know what the heck I was going to do when I got out. I thought I had a plan. I thought I had more time and I did not. So I tried to find my identity again. <laughs> Once I got out, I, oh, I, I was, you know, I raised two kids in the military as well. So, and I was doing military. So all that combined. And then I got out and I was just a net. I was no longer major Wittenberger. So I was like, what? Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> just, what happened? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when I transitioned out, I only got six months and I was pissed <laughs> because I wanted that year. I didn't get that year, but I also didn't retire at 20. I also didn't make that promotion list. So I was just devastated. So all these feelings are coming out. And instead of me focusing on, okay, this is my second chance. This is my second chapter of my book. This is something else I could do. I was just angry. <laughs> so I pouted for a while and I went through, you know, a, a really deep, dark depression and just didn't know how to live life anymore because I was just, I, I had lost myself because I spent so much time in the military. I didn't have to wake up anymore and do PT. I didn't have any meetings to go to. And, and it's funny because as much as I dreaded those meetings sometimes, I missed it. <laughs> I missed it. I'm having flashbacks. I'm sorry. I was having flashbacks when you said that. <laughs> right? So <laughs> I missed the hustle. I missed running around with my head cut off. I missed being yelled at. I missed it. Why? Yeah. It was just that that family it was that military family that you would gain throughout the years and, and you knew how to work with them and you just knew their personality and I knew what they wanted for lunch. And it was just crazy. It was just those little things that you just, you missed it. And, 
you know, for some of my friends they are like, God, I can't wait to retire. I can't wait to get rid of this shit. I can't wait to do this. I can't wait to do that. And here I am like, I got to miss it. I want to get up at five. I could, if I don't do that anymore, but I, I missed it back then. <laughs> so I just, I try to figure out what to do with my life and it took a while. And so during that transition process, you know, we, we focused on resumes. We focused on what to wear, how to wear it. It was all these things that were good, but what I, and I still, you know, still to this day feel like they need to add this. They forgot the mental health part. They forgot to teach you how. Well, yeah. <laughs> and that, I am so glad you brought that because I've had this conversation. I was talking to you earlier about this. I've had this conversation. The biggest thing, listen, I don't regret a day of my life in the military. I don't, you know what I'm saying? I never would talk bad about anything in the army. Yeah, we have bad days, but you know what? It's a job. But here's the thing I, I get upset about. It's the military as a whole, not just the army, all branches. They fail us at a whole by not preparing us the right way to get out. They make us go through basic training for eight weeks and break us down and build us up. Well, guess what? Before I get out, you should have sent me to a course for eight weeks where you build me back up to get me ready to become a civilian and have a job and understand what a real resume really looks like and understand what the corporate world's gonna want from me. Because you as a major, me as a senior NCO, we had anticipations and expectations of getting a job where we're kind of at the level we were at in the military where we had yes. some importance to not starting back down as the door greeter and shit. You know what I'm saying? Not back yeah. down. But they don't prepare you. And I think that's something that the military, I know I've been talking to, I'm in Texas and I've been talking to my congressmen and senators and all those guys because I see them a lot. I'm like, look, we got to look at this because this is serious. You know, that's why ours, that's another reason why I think the suicide rate gets so high. People don't yes. take into consideration that part of our anxiety as soldiers and veterans getting out is, we think we're the perfect guy to hire for a job because we've got discipline, we're going to show up. But some people don't want that strict, rigid type of personality around their employees. They want somebody more loosey-goosey kind of whatever. But you said it perfect that they just don't do the due diligence to make sure we're ready. Even you as a major, me as a sergeant first class, I mean, two senior level people, right? Mm -hmm. They were just like, bye. You know what I'm saying? Finish your clear, turn your paperwork in, get your flag, get your DDP-14, <laughs> deuces. You know what I'm saying? They, exactly. they didn't give a shit about me. They, want a retirement ceremony? No, because you're not, no, because that's for you. That's not for me now at this point. I just want to get out now because you guys are kind of making me feel like I, what, my 20 years didn't matter or my time didn't matter. Just we got to get the next guy in your spot to fill your shoes. So I think the military fails us that way. And I, and I agree with you 100% that they set you up for failure. And we remember how many times we said that in the military, don't set your soldiers up for failure. Well, guess what? They set everybody up for failure because they just rush you out, A-cap you, PowerPoint you to death, make you check blocks on a check sheet, turn that sheet in, get your DD-214 and your flag, and you're gone. Maybe an award if you, were, if you had a good unit, they might have done an award for you. But then you're gone. You know what I mean? And that's it. And they Absolutely. forget about you. The minute you walk out the door, they, they, they don't even remember you now. Bye. You know what I'm saying? So, no, you, mm -hmm. yeah. You are so right. And it, it just, oh. it, it broke my heart when I had no. friends that retired after 20 and they, they had the most successful jobs in the, in the army that I was like, Oh my gosh. You I were mean, jealous. Yeah. Yeah. But when they got out, they couldn't find a job and they got so depressed because they're, they're like, I don't understand what, what is it on my resume? That's not good enough. I, I had this position that did this job. I, I, I mean, yeah, and after yeah, 67 nuts. resumes later, 67 no's, what, I mean, how do you, no one prepared you for that? No, and they and, don't. And they, and they, and they wash their hands of you because like you said, you might've been, 
you as a major, you probably worked at some senior level staff office jobs and had the responsibility of five, six, seven thousand soldiers that are underneath that brigade or battalion. Yes. It's an immense amount of, I was an NCIC, the brigade S3, the largest medical brigade of the United States Army. Oh, that's, that's huge. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. when I got out, I was lucky to get a job. I was a drill instructor at juvenile detention center because no one else would hire me. And they paid me 60 bucks an hour to put a drill sergeant hat on and yell at some kids. Okay, I'll do it. But the point is, because I got to have some money, you know what I mean? But I'm like, really? That's the job I get after I just had the largest medical brigade in the Army? I'm the senior NCO. I'm in charge of the S3. I'm running all training and all, all the deployment stuff. And now I can't find a job at all. So I honestly think, and this is one of the things, like I said, I'm beating my senators and congressmen up in my area here in Texas about, hey, man, we got to look at some way to relook at this the military the way they're – because I'm telling you right now, I have PTSD because I deployed six times. I have depression. I have anxiety. But here's the thing I tell people all the time. PTSD, I can live with PTSD. I can live with the memories and I can deal with that. It's the depression part of PTSD that overwhelms me emotionally and makes me feel like killing myself or makes me, it's the depression. People get tied up and think PTSD, PTSD is not a negative thing necessarily. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a reminder of what we had to go through, what we went through, what we saw or whatever, but it's not life. But depression on the other hand is the most dangerous mental health issue in the world because it makes you make choices that you normally in a clear mind wouldn't make. You wouldn't make those choices if your mind was clear. But you're, all that's weighing on you. Look, I have over a million dollars of life insurance on me. And all my life insurance I had long enough now that if I committed suicide, my wife would get the money because mm-hmm. I was like a two-year again, whatever. They look. I, I read about That's what I was reading on my – that's how sad it was when I got out. I'm reading my life insurance policy like, okay, if I commit suicide, would I still get it? And I read in the – okay, yep, you got to have the policy for at least two years. Then no matter how you die, your spouse or your, your beneficiary will get the money. I said, all right, I just got to make it two years and suck it up. So I've had thought, I've had a gun in my mouth. I've had those because I'm like, yes. it's so much. It's just, it's so heavy. And it's, it's, it's like I got a hundred pound ruck on and I'm trying to do a 12 mile road march and I got a sprained ankle and I got a bad knee. So I'm not, I know I'm not going to make it. So I start getting anxiety and then because I, I have that too. Me personally, I have that too. When my anxiety level goes up, I throw up in my mouth. Like I actually have a physical response. Now, I don't like blast it everywhere over, but yeah. it's it puking my mouth and I swallow it and I got to go to the bathroom, rinse my mouth, I'll brush my teeth because my anxiety gets so high, I can feel my stomach bubbling and it just shoots mm. it up. And see, the VA doesn't do anything with that. They don't care. Like, hey, if it doesn't hurt your shoulder or hurt your back, it, we're not, I said, I, I don't care if you do anything for it. That's not the point. But I want it in my records that it happens to me because I want my doctors, my psychologist, psychiatrist, whoever, to know I'm having a physical reaction to my depression and anxiety. There's a physical yes. reaction. So- it's scary, though, isn't it? it? I mean, it's so scary. You were a field-grade officer in the United States Army, and you struggled when you got out to find work that was comparable to what you your capabilities were. You might have found a job, but it wasn't where you thought or felt. You know what I mean? Like, I felt that way. I'm like, I'm really, I'm sitting here, I'm, and I got the worst shift because I was a new guy, so I had the weekends and the night shifts and stuff. So I was like, damn, you know what I'm saying? I'm getting treated like I'm a private, and I just did 20 years in the Army, did six deployments, did all this crap, and I'm getting treated like I'm nobody. And it, it brought me way down. Like I was down in the dumps for a long, long time. And I know all of us go through it. And that's what I try to tell soldiers all the time. I don't care how ready you think you are. There's going to be depression in your life because you're going to miss that brotherhood, sisterhood, that military family, like Annette said earlier, that military family, no matter how hard it is, you, there's a part of you that likes getting yelled at. There's a party because you know that means people care about you. They're trying to make you do shit right or whatever. So it's part of the culture. So it's not something you're not adept to, right? Yes. You, yes. So I, I listened to you in, uh, talk about the depression, and anxiety, and I'm sitting here nodding my head like crazy because yeah. yes, people don't see those invisible wounds that we suffer from. Mm-hmm. And 
not only that, you know, we grew up in the military being so we had to be strong. Never let them see you sweat. You can't cry. Soldiers and, can't see that. You got to be you standing can't. up. You got to lead. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So who are you going to talk to? You don't. You don't talk to anybody. So you suppress it. You black it out. You continue and drive on. So when you get out and you're alone and that's when it all just is like a pile of rocks just fall on you. And you're like, Holy shit. What, what, what am I supposed to do with this? I I don't know what to do, you know? And, and and there was times towards the last three years I was in, I used to, I had to go see military one source. I was going to lose my mind. I couldn't handle it anymore. I wanted to get out of there. And I had to say that I was going to a medical appointment. I wouldn't say what it was. Yep. I just said, Gotta get out of here and go to the doctor. Yep. <laughs> I'm going at 1300 cool. and that's yep. it. But I had to have them like swear to me. They weren't going to tell my chain of command. Like you can't say anything. You don't understand. I'll lose yeah. my clearance. I'll, I'll lose be moved. And so, you know, of course, you know, the, in between the lines, if, if you're suicidal, whatever. So I wouldn't even talk about that because I didn't want them to tell anybody. Yeah. So why was I going to see somebody if I couldn't really tell them my whole truth? So it was just freaking, it was stressful. So I stopped. Yeah. I stopped because I I needed to tell somebody something, but I couldn't tell them everything. And so you see that, and that's exactly what happens to soldiers before they get out. I was in the same situation. I was doing the military once or I was talking to a guy on the phone. I didn't even see him personally. I would call him on the phone. Like I didn't go to his office ever because I didn't, I wanted to make sure they didn't even know what I looked like. So they right. couldn't, they, I was on the phone with him. But but anyway, with my because uh, I was the last couple of years I was in there too, I was battling depression big time because I was getting anxious about getting out, my life changing completely, and then I, and I, I got a new kid, I got new, I'm married, I got I got kids, I got problems. She's got well, you're just like oh, this is just going to be too much. And then you know, I, and I laugh about this all the time because I got a couple of buddies that I was in Afghanistan with, and uh, and I was a medic over there, so I saw a lot of stuff and, and did with it. But a couple of my friends that are that I'm still my friends with, they they lost limbs over there, an arm or a leg or whatever. Uh, and they're, they're, but most of those guys are doing okay because it's, it's a physical injury that they can comprehend. People can see it. They can respect it. They can see our injuries when you have depression and you can say PTSD, but I, I, I PTSD is such a, for me, it's, I, I find it to be more of a, a diagnosis than a condition because mm-hmm. it's something you can, you can cope and deal with PTSD. It's almost impossible to deal with depression. My wife has it. I have it. You know, people go through depressive states. And I've told my buddies, I mean, I would have rather lost my leg in Afghanistan and be depressed. I honestly would rather have lost my leg and had a fake leg than had to deal. Because at least then I could look down and go, that's the reason why I'm pissed off. That's the reason that shit's bad for me. It's because of that. I'd have a reason. I'd have an excuse. I'd have something to point at. But right now, I'm standing up. I can walk around. Nothing's wrong with me that way physically. Now, other than, you know, just getting old. But (laughs) (laughs) just getting old. But the mental damage that's been done to you from your military service, especially if you've been in a high op tempo unit, you were deployed quite a few times, but even if you weren't the stress of being in the military and having that pressure on you that you might have to go or that you've got to train like you're going and da-da, it could put a lot on people and people come from so many different venues in the world. Like there's so many guys that come in, their families were broken and they they were homeless or in a, they were foster cared or whatever. Now they're in the army and you're like, Whoa, okay. There's some, and then you got to help them kind of get resituated. And mm-hmm. so it's just like, it doesn't end. You know. And then when you get out, it ends. Like my phone stopped ringing. Nobody called me no more. I was like, damn, they just cut me off completely. Don't even need my help anymore. They're like, screw them. So, <laughs> it, yeah, you've touched. I mean, you've touched a lot of hot spots for me as far as that goes because I'm 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 adamant that if the military doesn't do something to better prepare us to come out, 
it, I know for a fact, I know, they might not be able to show numbers for this, but I know for a fact it has a direct reflection on the suicide rate because those guys don't commit suicide because they have PTSD. They commit suicide because they're depressed, because their anxiety level is too high, because they get manic and they don't sleep and, they, and then they revert to drinking or drugs or whatever. It's because of the depression caused by the PTSD. That could be the cause. Yeah. But PTSD is not the diagnosis that's getting them killed. They use that because it looks good on the it looks good in the papers. It looks good on the news because it makes them feel like that's a diagnosable. That's a that's the thing. Not really because see nobody ever has. I mean, let's talk about life. Depression is one of those things that most people don't talk about with anybody at all, right? Because they're afraid how people will judge them for it. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I don't give a shit how you judge me. I got depression because I know what I went through it makes me have up and downs, and it's like a roller coaster. You know, you're like good days and bad days, right? So you, me, anybody who served, and I'm not going to lie. I think people at senior levels have it a little harder only because there was more pressure on us than on the E4, the E3, the E5 even. I mean, there's more pressure on the senior level, E7 and above, officers and above. You know, once you're major and you're you're senior captain or a major and you're in a staff position or you're in a – I mean, they put pressure on you on purpose because they're trying to do a couple things. They're trying to prove that you can do it and also – prepare you for the next level. But mm-hmm. you think about that pressure and that buildup. I like using the word pressure because if you think of pressure and you're pushing something and you're put that's oh, yeah. but that's on you. That's like they're pushing on your neck and on your head and your your spine's compressing and shit. And then you're like, ah, and then yeah. you gotta deal when you get out. And then then there's no one there for you when you get out. Exactly. There's no one there. You can't call your sergeant major or your colonel or whoever and say, hey sir, because they don't give a shit. You're, you're like, oh sorry. You'll call me on Saturday. You know, maybe I can talk <laughs> to you then, but it's it's I got soldiers right now. I gotta deal with soldier problems. So yeah, I'm with you 100%. That's just, it's, it's mind-numbing that the military doesn't give enough focus to, because I'm also a firm believer in this. I don't care if you retire or you ETS or whatever, but if you have a condition before you get out of the military and it's diagnosing your record, in my opinion, the government now is responsible for your treatment for the rest of your life because they caused that condition, right? So if I'm depressed, yes. I should never have to pay for a doctor's appointment for a depression issue. I should never have to pay for a doctor's appointment for whatever because I'm that way because of them. And because of what right. I was involved in there. So I'm one of those believers too. It's not about necessarily the VA is like, is that I don't care if it's the VA or I go to a civilian doctor. I, I should have TRICARE for those type of appointments forever, whether I ETS or retire. Then the VA is there for the other stuff. I hurt my knee or I got a bad back or whatever. But, but a condition, a condition that you have should be, in my opinion, the Army, the our branch of service should be responsible for that care. So I should have been told, yeah, you're retiring. You gotta, you're, you're good because you got TRICARE. Good. Okay, you're good. But like if I got out at 17 or 18 years and they forced me out or or I got out at nine years as an E5, but mm-hmm. I had PTSD or depression because of my deployments, then they should have said, okay, you're covered for the rest of your life for mental health problems. Just go to any med- medical doctor, any army doctor, any whatever, and you're good. Okay, cool. That Absolutely. way at least I have that, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And that's, yeah. that's one of the sad things is that you get these young soldiers who get out and they have nothing. There's nothing, and it's so hard for them to get an appointment. And a lot it's of these so guys go back and live with their mom or dad, or they go back and live with a family member. They don't have any support systems in place. Exactly. They don't They don't have anything, and that's where it comes in. That's where they fall into the depression because nobody prepared them for that. And now they were just, okay, you're done. Thanks for your service. And now you have to go pay for your own care that costs a ridiculous amount of money, and they can't afford it. So... And and that's where it comes. I think, I really think the military, all branches needs to focus on it because that's where the stigma of mental health comes on. I mean, they, they make it so difficult for us to say anything for fear of losing our career. And 
so we just sit there and we suck it up, but, and then we get depressed and then we start drinking and then we start smoking and then nobody understands why. And all those negative behaviors start. It's, it's yeah. I mean, there, I, I am a, I am a suicide attempt survivor. I am uh, quite a few times over and I'm just grateful to be here because I don't, I didn't know what to do. I mean, as a mom, as a spouse, as a senior leader, I, I suffer too. We all do, and I, I talk. I talk about it a lot in my PTSD episode. That's on on an earlier earlier episodes. One of my first couple episodes. I talk about that specifically. Like, look, it is not a bad thing to talk about suicide to somebody else because talking about it allows you to get it off your chest. Let people know how you're feeling. You know, as long as you're talking to somebody who's not judging you and not going to get all overexcited about it, but they can just listen to you and be there to be an ear. It allows you to let it out. So then you can read. I look at it like this: It's like your fuel tank is full. And you gotta let all that gas out. So you gotta talk to somebody. Let all the gas. And then I can refill it, and maybe I come back to you in a couple of weeks or a month or whatever long it takes to fill my tank back up. But I tell guys all the time, it's okay. I said, call me. You want to talk about killing yourself? Call me. I'll talk to you about it because I can relate. Yes. And I'll talk to you about it, and we'll walk through it. We'll talk through it because we all know it's not the right decision. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, it feels that way because if I was dead, my wife got a million dollars in life insurance. She'd be fine for the rest of her life. The kids would be good. They wouldn't have to deal with my anger and all the bullshit I go through with them. And da-da. So, I mean, you look at it from that perspective, you're like, damn, they would be better off without me. Right. And then you start putting that stuff on yourself. Yep. That's when the gun goes in your mouth and, you, you know, the triggers cop back and you're like, mm-hmm. but then I think about my son and my daughter and how much they, I know they love me and they love spending time with me. And there's, there are good times. And that's what always pulls me back is just my kids and my wife that I know that they're there for me. Right. But there's just so much weight on you, you know, and you're just like, holy shit what am i i mean i don't know what to do you know and i can't call doctors not every doctor is available 24 7 where you can call them i mean i have therapists i have my phone speed dial i do but they don't always answer because they're with another patient or they're doing something else so you're just kind of stuck so yes that kind of leads me to this with you talk to me a little bit about being i was doing military for a little while in my career too and that was retarded but okay yeah so talk to me a little bit about the challenges you had as a military member who's married to another military and then you've had kids. Cause I think that is crazy challenging to me. I think that's one of the most overlooked th- things in the military is our dual military that have children. I don't think they get the love they should get as far as what they really got to go through. I, <laughs> I started my career pregnant, so <laughs> I don't. Oh, you walked into a happy land, didn't you? Oh my <laughs> hey, God. Lieutenant. Yeah. Hey, Lieutenant, what the hell is that? (laughs) Exactly. I was 23 years old and I flew to Germany and I was four months pregnant. So as a second Lieutenant, so I don't, you know, I'm so grateful for my kids, but oh my God, I don't know what the heck I was doing. So I had my daughter at at 23. I had my, no, 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 25. And then my son at 28. So I was 25 when I had, yes, I was 25 flying to Germany for the first time ever leaving the country as a second Lieutenant. My husband had already moved to Germany. So I went by myself and had to learn how to be okay. Like I had to figure out how to be a real full fledged adult. I mean, I know I was 23 going 25 going over there, but 
I was by myself in this foreign country with, with nothing. He wasn't even around because he was in the field. And then I had to figure out how to juggle that, how to find, well, I had a daycare center on, on the concern, on the post, but you know, my daughter was six weeks old when she went into the daycare system and it was just so eye-opening. Like, I, I don't know how I juggled it. I'm just grateful that I had leadership that, you know, let me do what I had to do, but I was also fortunate to find the daycare workers that took care of my daughters. They were people that I, and I still talk to them to this day. So 20 years later, and I still am in touch with them. They took it upon themselves to take care of my daughter, even if I had to stay at work late. I mean, I was lucky. Not everybody's yeah. that lucky. Yeah, you're right. But, you're lucky. <laughs> I, you know, then at 28, I had my son and we moved back to the States and he was only three months old. But throughout the rest of the career, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I initially joined the army saying I'm doing three years and I'm done. And then I got married and then he started, you know, I knew he knew what he wanted to do. So I was like, well, okay, if he's going to go to the campus career course, then I'll just go to, and then if he's going to go do get command, then I'll, I'll try to get command too. So it's like, I was following him, but you know, there was a time in my career where I was really, okay, I'm serious now. <laughs> Really, I want battalion. I want to be a company commander. I want to be a battalion XL. I want to do all these things, but I had to make sacrifices because he was a year and a half senior to me. And it was almost like, well, not that I'm not that important, but he's kind of more important. So it, it was hard. I yeah. it's hard for you guys as officers too, because your your model's so different than enlisted that it's just kind of it's a it's a tricky, it's a tricky like plank you walk on with that stuff because like I said. You could have probably, there was potential for you to overtake him, so to speak, because you're a female and there's opportunities for you as a female. But then you're like, well, my husband. And, you know, so, I mean, you got that personal stuff. So, that's it's challenging, man. It is. And I was stubborn because I, I didn't like to ask for help. I could take care of my kids. I don't need a nanny. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of did. <laughs> and it yeah, did my ass. Yeah, I did. So. You know, and I'll be honest with you, Annette. I'm one of the biggest female veteran supporters out there as far as that goes because I know how difficult it is to be a mother in the military anyway, like a dependent wife. So I couldn't even imagine how difficult it was for a soldier who get up every morning, go to PT and have to drop their kid off at daycare because their husband got a job or they might not even have a husband, they're a single mom or whatever. And then that's yes. even more challenging. And I'm like, cause I had a couple single soldiers that had kids and, that, and then we had challenges too. Do they live there? It was, but the strength. And I tell this to the guy veterans all the time. If you could even, if we could even get this much of that strength, that those women had to not only have to put up with our stupid shit in the army as guys and just talking smack and deal with that crap at work and then have to go home and raise a child. Cause now I've, I've I waited a little, I waited till the end of my career to have my kids. I had 35 when I had my first daughter, when my daughter was born, I was 30, I had three years left in the army or whatever, uh, four years left. So she was four when I got out, but just even that first four years, dual military, my daughter's four or one, you know, and I'm dropping her off at daycare. Cause when I was in, I deployed right away. My wife was at home with the baby, taking care of it. And then I got home and guess what? She deployed. Yes. And I had to take care of the baby, but then still go to work and stuff. So I'm like, shit. So I ain't bullshitting. I'm a coward. I call my mom. Hey, mom, I need you to come live with me, man, because I can't do this by myself. It's too much. It's too much. I'm, a, I'm retarded. I don't know the intricate things. I don't have the instincts that my wife would have with the baby. And it's a little girl on top of that. And I'm just like, oh shit. You know, I'm stuck like Chuck. Mom, help me. My mom flew down, of course, and then she's moving. And then my mom still lives here now to this day because – now I have another son and she's a grandma. So she's like, I ain't leaving. So I'm like, cool. But 
I w- that was me, and that was like, so when I look at a woman veteran, and I know they have children or they they, they raise kids, with, dude, my heart is just so full of what can I do to help her because I know she went through twice as much as I had to go through, even though I had different responsibilities. Because even just that, and I talk about that, I talked about this with, with Dr. James earlier. She was on my show, one of the podcasts earlier, and we talked about the female veteran and what they really, you know, the challenges they have when they get out are even stronger than what we have because they have to go over bigger hurdles because they got to break past the barrier of getting a job. For instance, me and you went to the same job. I applied for the same job. Let's just be honest. I probably have an up going in because I'm a guy. Mm-hmm. Not because I know more than you, you know more than me, whatever. Just before they even meet us, I know you and I both know in their head, they're probably planning on me mm-hmm. unless they really wanted a woman in that position or whatever. But the point is, if it's a straight up job and it's sad, but in the civilian sector and then that, it's not like in the military. It's like when you're in the army, your hair is back. You, we, all the females look the same. They all <laughs> hair back, uniform, same uniform. Everybody. We all look the same. You know, it wasn't like that. I mean, you go to work now because I had another conversation with, I think it was Captain Rock. And she was in an earlier episode. She told me a story like the first day she got a job, she was literally in her house crying because she didn't know what kind of shoes to wear to work because she'd been wearing the same. So she was freaking out like, what shoes should I wear? She, and she, it affected her so deeply that she started crying. And I said, look, you bullshit. I did the same thing when I got my first real job at a hospital. I'm like, do I wear a shirt and tie? Do I wear a jacket and tie? Do I, holy shit, do I have shoes for these pants? Do I have slacks? I'm freaking out because I'm like, I got jeans and t-shirts in my house because when I got out of the army, got, I had maybe one suit or one nice stuff to go out dinners or whatever, but everything else, jeans, t-shirt. What do I do? You know what I mean? Like, what do you do? You know, <laughs> but my women veteran out there, I swear, I, you are heroes to me because even if you never had a kid and you're just a woman in the army and you just put up with all our shit as men, thinking it was just the man's world kind of attitude, you know, you deserve more than what you get. And, and, and from the standpoint of, to me, like a woman, if the woman, a woman and I did the same amount of time, the same type of deployment stuff, and we both got out, I would have her way up here above me because I'm like, because I know you had to deal with all this other shit, guys hitting on you, doing other whatever, blah, blah. You had to deal with that. You might have been something done wrong to you because I, I also was a sharps guy in the Army too, so I had to deal with them idiots oh, yeah. that were doing sexual assaults. <laughs> and, dude, you want to talk about blood boiling. Boy, I would, my colonel hated him. He got me out of that job after like seven months because he's like, You're, you want to kill every dude that comes. I said, yeah, they're all guilty in my eyes because <laughs> – they're just they're just taking advantage of the situation. They're not, you know what I mean? So he's like, yeah, sorry, you can't have this job no more. It's like, all right. Because I was like, I was slamming every dude that came in because I'm like, they don't deserve that. They shouldn't have to go through the rest of their career worried about some asshole doing something to them because they're a woman, right. not treating them the same as because they're a soldier in that job doing a job, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's just me. And I think that's mm-hmm. the way my mother raised me. It's like, you know, women, it's not that you got to put them on a pedestal, but you got to treat them as equals. You got to treat them mm-hmm. as they're there with you and they're there working and they're doing the job. It's okay. There's plenty of men out there that can't lift up the 50 pound bags or whatever too. So don't, I hate when I got girls can't go to ranger school. Why? If they can hack it, fuck, let them go. Sure. I mean, it makes it better. Uh, yeah. If they can go to special forces, they can hack it. Go shit. Go. You know what I mean? If you can hack it, go. Yeah. They're amazing. You, got, you know, you're a woman or a man. If you can hack that treatment and they treat you the exact same and you can shit, put your tab on girl. That's all I'm saying. I'm proud of you. you shit. You're the bomb. But that's just me, right? But the, yes. our society doesn't allow that to happen. Women shouldn't be in combat. Why? If a woman wants to go fight for her country, because she believes in it that strongly, then girlfriend, grab your shit, let's go. You know what I mean? That's my attitude. I don't want to see you die. And I know my instincts are going to be extra to protect you because as a man, you know, I was bred and brought up that, you know, our job is to protect our spouse. Like my wife, I don't need to protect my wife either, though, because she's a badass, too. She's a brown belt, <laughs> but she'd probably kick my butt. <laughs> but, <laughs> she's tough. That my old lady, she's a beast. But Zumba instructor, all that stuff. But anyway, I digress because uh, yeah, she makes me nervous sometimes. 
<laughs> and I'm pretty big. But she's just women in the army, women in the military. You know, it's a lifestyle change, and it's a it's a threat to me for a woman to come in the army and do a career. It takes a lot for you to want to join the all boys club and really put yourself in that position where you got to know there's going to be some some trials you're going to go through just because you're in that all boys club. You know what I mean? You're just in that club, and you know, yes, just this, just, whew. <laughs> yeah, whew, man. But I do believe in them. That's a, that's the thing too. So you you as a woman veteran and, and Dr. James and Captain Rock and I had a Navy vet on her. Her name's Fergie. She's just amazing. That because even Fergie, her story, she was actually sexually assaulted in the military. So she had a trauma experience on top of mm-hmm. her service. So and then she got out and then she's having depression and stuff too. So then it just you meant it manifests and boils into such a you know what I mean? It's just not good. Oh yes. And she's got to try to survive that. It just gets crazy. But anyway, I digress because that really gets my emotion. I get emotional. Sorry, guys out there. I know we're doing this with a net, but I get emotional <laughs> about my female veterans out there. I, I, I respect them so much that I want them to, to get the respect they deserve from all our, all their fellow veterans out there. So you guys got to pay attention to that. All right. Sorry, Annette. Go ahead. <laughs> we'll get back to that. I'm sorry. I just digress. So we were talking about kids and raising kids in the military as a, as a soldier. Oh, you know, it just, you were talking about deployments. My my husband left six months before I did, and my mom ended up coming down. We were both stationed at Fort Hood, and she ended up coming down and moving. She bought a house and stayed there because we were both going to be deployed. So it's funny that you mentioned your mom. Yes, yeah, my, she's, my my, she's actually in my other house now. Like, I let her there. Just move in, mom. I got you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's, my mom came down because my husband wouldn't have been able to handle it. He no. was like, I don't know what to week. do. My, my kids were three and five. Yeah, we're so, so weak. Uh, we're so <laughs> weak. We're coming down real weak. I don't care if you're a good dad or not. You ain't handling that shit on your own. It's just, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. It's just happening. It's not happening. So, <laughs> yeah, it was funny. So, you know, thankfully she did that and she helped out. But, yeah, that was the tough one. That was my first deployment when they were little. And then he, he left after that. So they didn't have their parents for a six-month gap. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was difficult, but I think you know it, it made my kids a little bit stronger for it because I, I deployed again a few years later to Afghanistan. So, you know, it just makes us appreciate things differently because my my husband was back and he he had to take care of them while I was gone, and so you know it's just it's it's just it's not easy. I but I you know I don't think I would have changed anything just because it yeah. made us stronger people. So. But bottom line, yes, it, it sucked. <laughs> it sucked. It, does, it was yeah. hard. I'm glad that we had a support system because I don't think we would have been able to do it without them. Yeah, and I'm a big believer in that too. Us as soldiers and, and even as veterans, our families, our families, like our parents, our family members, brother, they've been, they were huge in my life because they were there when I needed them. My dad and mom were there because my dad served. So he understood exactly what the hell was going on with me. So he's like, yep, we're coming. And they just came. They didn't question it. They just came. And I'm sure your parents did the same thing when that situation. Because I'm telling you right now, now, I'm good as a dad. I can handle it because my daughter, my daughters are 14, 15, and th- my eight, oldest is eight. So now I can just tell them what to do and they're going to do it. But when they're like, they can't really communicate with me, I was like, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Like the, so now I'm good. I can handle it. My wife could go on a vacation for a while. I'd be good. Cause I'm like, get up there and do the dishes, get up there and do the laundry. But cause they, they're old enough to do all that stuff now. So I'm good. And I got two daughters to take care and take care of your brother. Go feed him or whatever. Go feed him. So I'm good. You know what I mean? But it's funny that way. It's funny that way. But this has been this has been fantastic because I think what it should tell all you other listening is this: you go through challenges in your career, no matter what your rank is, no matter what where the where you serve, how you serve, when you serve. Every all of us going through some type of challenges, right? So it could have been kids. It could have been deployments. It could have just been you had a jerk for a boss. It could have been your sergeant major was a dud or whatever. Blah blah blah. It could have been a whole lot of things, right? 
But what's important for you to understand is the resources inside the military when you're in that military family, like Annette said earlier, that military family, whether you like them or not, they're going to be there the next day when you go to work. That's the thing. When you go to, you know, tomorrow they're going to be there. Whether you want them to be there or not, they're going to be there. So you got to learn to deal with it. It teaches you a lot as a human being to how to deal with personalities and relationships that you're going to build and things like that. So take for heed what, what Annette and I were talking about earlier as far as when you're going through that transition and you're getting ready to get out, whether you did 17 years or 20 years or you did three years, okay? Because I'm with Annette too, man. If I'd have thought about it all the way through, I might have got out of my first four years and said, thank you, that's enough. But I had a calling in the way I looked at my life because my father served for 20, so I wanted to serve. But And Annette served as long as she could because of that. But then, like you, like her, her situation, the kids, that and they offered her an opportunity to get out early. Why not take it? Because it's going to make her life a little bit different and challenging. But So you jump on those things if you can. So Annette, I want to say thank you big time for being on the show. It's been amazing. You're a humane, a perfect human being as far as where you're at now. And, and now what I want you to do, though, I want you to tell all our listeners out there what we can do to help support you with the, some of the things that you're doing with A Wild Ride Called Life and the Truth That We Hide podcast that you have. So let's talk a little bit about your businesses so we can get some shout outs for that and get some love and get some people to come out and recognize those things. Maybe go like your Facebook pages and stuff and help build your brand so we can help you out. So what can we tell? What can you tell us about? No, thank you so much. I, you know, I, I started the the blog Wild Ride Called Life right when I was getting out my last few months. And it was just a, a space for me to start talking about what I was going through because the more I spoke to other people, the more I realized that I wasn't alone. And so I decided, you know what, this is it. I'm going to just do it. And once I launched it, it was scary. And I had, you know, I lost friends and, you know, whatever the case is, now it has turned into a platform to share not only my story, but other people's stories on just real life. Like some days suck. Some days are really good. Some days we just don't want to do anything but sit on the couch. So, and it's okay. So I, I have stated now that it is okay to not be okay. And I have given out my number. I have people that reach out to me. I offer coaching. I mentor. I I do everything I can to help anyone now who is suffering because I chose to live with my mental health instead of suffer from it because it saved my life. And not everybody is ready to do that. So I try to help them figure out the best way to live life each day and stay motivated. I started the Truth We Hide podcast just in October of last year. Again, I, it's scary because it's deep, but we, it was just going to be veterans, but now it's everybody because it not, veterans and military families are not the only ones that are suffering. Anybody off the street has a story to tell. And I wanted to create that safe space for them to come and share that story without being judged. There is no judgment on anything I do because I know how it is. Yep. So between the blog and the podcast, that's, that's what I've done now because I'm now I'm ready to share anything and everything that I've gone through. And now I want to give other people the same. I'm so sorry. That's all right. You're like me. Just airplane mode. No, no. That's all right. It's okay. So, so everybody out there, you're listening. Okay. So Anita has these great things. Now check this out. All this will be on the website and the podcast feed. So you can check out her blog. You can check out her websites. Be able to check out her podcast. All that stuff's going to be linked into her flyer that we're going to put out and it's also going to be on our website when her episode gets launched later on here down the, down the road a little bit so anita this has been amazing you are an amazing human being not only are you a, an amazing veteran but you're just an amazing human being and i and i applaud you 
and I'm proud of you for taking the steps to, to accept who you are, what you've dealt with, who you've got to, and what you can do for others. Because, you know, I, like you, I run a nonprofit that helps soldiers, veterans, and first responders and their families with that stuff because I wanted to continue to give back. And we provide counseling here. We provide a whole bunch of stuff here at our nonprofit that I run to do whatever I can do to help you. I want to help you kind of attitude. And, and people like you, people like me that are willing to step up and make that effort, people see that effort and they respect it and they love it and they, and they can honor people like you. So I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I respect and love the fact that you're where you're at in your life right now. And we need you in this world. So you stay with us and you keep plugging away and you keep doing your thing. And if you ever need to reach out to me, you'll make, I'll make sure you got my number, direct number, so you can reach out to me whenever you need to, because we need you people like you in this place, Annette. We need you. We want you. And there's people out there that have to have you. So it's important. So remember that, everybody out there, that when you get out of the military, you can do more than just get a job. You can make an effort to make a change to your community. You can do it yourself. You can reach out to people like myself or Annette or anybody else out there that runs a nonprofit or does anything that helps people. Reach out and talk to them. Don't be afraid to shoot an email or send a message on Facebook, whatever. Just start the conversation because you might open a door up for yourself because you start that conversation with Annette. You might go to her Facebook page. Hey, Annette, I listened to your podcast on Veterans Be Real the other day and I was really touched by what you're doing. I was wondering if XYZ and guess what? She might be able to help you with XYZ and then what happens for you and her? You're going to improve her life because you're going to make her feel like she's connected and you're going to improve your life and where you're headed. So think about that, guys, when you're out there and you're thinking about this stuff, especially you lady veterans out there. She's there for you. Reach out. Don't be stupid. Reach out to somebody. Talk to them if you're going through something traumatic or some trauma or you got depression. Reach out to one of us. You can reach out to me, too. I'll talk to you. I don't I honestly and it, like she said, I don't care if you're a veteran. If you just need some help, I'll help you because that's what I do now. That's the way I love my life and I, I make my feel. That's my relationship with my God and the way I do things is I just want to give back. I felt I took enough in my life. Now I want to give back. I'm sure Annette feels the same way and we just want to give back and make people's lives better because it makes our lives better. So there you go. So Annette, thank you, sweetheart, for being on the show. You were amazing. I can't wait for our relationship to grow. We get to know each other a little better so we can really help each other in doing different things we're doing in our communities. So thank you. From all of us here at Veterans Be Real, we look forward to the next time we get to talk to you. Thank you so much. You are such a blessing. I appreciate you so much. You're right. Well, you have a great afternoon, rest of your afternoon. Thank you. You too. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. Hope you all got something out of this podcast today. Please tell a battle buddy about us and stay tuned for our upcoming podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at www.veteransbereal.com. Support us because we got your back. Till next time, everyone. I'm out of here. Oh,